Pastor Xavier Reese and the reason for obedience. The greatest incentive for holy living is that you really believe that Jesus Christ is coming for you. You remember being a little kid at home? First time your parents left you? Okay, we're going to be gone just a minute. And the minute they left, you look out the window. Yeah! And, and they forgot something, turned around, and they caught you in midair from one bed to another. Ah, uh, busted. I hope the Lord don't catch you between two beds in the air. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Seeker-friendly, purpose-driven, denominational, fundamental, or spirit-filled. Just which type is the perfect church? Pastor Xavier explores the book of 1 Thessalonians for an important study of God's people, the church. Grab your Bible if it's handy for today's Simple Truths. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 Verse 8 through 10, the message is entitled, A Model Church on Fire. Notice first, they proclaim the word of the Lord. The message was the word of the Lord. The phrase represents the gospel, of course, God's revelation that is inspired by His Holy Spirit. It did not come to them in word only, he says, but also in power and the Holy Spirit when he comes to chapter 4, verse 15. The word of the Lord came to them. He says it in chapter 1, verse 5. The power of the Holy Spirit. The measure of their message is said to be not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Macedonia was to the north, Achaia was to the south, but also in every place, implying far and wide. The proclamation of the gospel had traveled out from them in every way, contagiously, reverberating. When a person is said to have a contagious disease... It means that he has the whatever virus or infectious particle that if he comes in contact with somebody else, that other person will in fact get that disease. He will transmit it to that person if he is made contact with. The Thessalonians had the genuine contagious disease of Christianity. Is your case of Christianity contagious? If it is, so will your proclamation be contagious regarding the word of the Lord. You see, if you really believe what God saved you from and what is coming to this world, you're going to be sharing with people. You see, the proclamation of Thessalonians was contagious. I notice the second mark in verse 9. Their practice was consistent with the gospel. Notice the result of their turning to God was that they turned from idols. Notice the order. Salvation should never be thought of as beginning by giving up something, but rather by our receiving something, namely the person of Jesus Christ. When you begin to think of salvation as beginning by giving up things, you're putting the cart before the horse. Salvation begins by receiving a person. And then he deals with those things. The worship of idols had always been an offense to God in the past. And it still was. And remember the record in the Old Testament with the children of Israel. It says when you go into that, don't even look at how they worship. Don't inquire of it. Don't be curious. Just destroy everything. The fundamental mark of Christianity in the Bible and throughout history is that there is a definite break with non-Christian habits. 
regardless of one's background and culture. Today, this basic principle is being ignored and being explained away through this behavioral modification of psychology and sociology. And we're just dysfunctional, codependent, enablers. What are these terms? What's up with that? My Bible says we're sinners. We're self-centered. We're selfish. We're evil. Now, I can understand those things. Whenever there is a break with a sinful practice, it is by the work of God. Notice thirdly, still in verse 9 there at the end. The apostles were hearing how the Thessalonians were serving the living and true God. The intent of the commitment was to serve God. And you know the word serve, doulos. It means to serve by one's own choosing and free will. The surrender is total and complete to the service as a slave in the present infinitive. Denoting that it is a life, continuous, wholehearted service. Do you know there's no other type of service described in the Bible? How often did Jesus teach about parables about the steward, the good steward, the evil steward? About stewardship, accountability, responsibility, the master, the slave. Count them in the Gospels, you'll blow your mind. You see, they were slaves to the idols of their culture. They have been slaves to them all their lives. Now they were free. You remember what a slave you were to whatever you were into? Do you remember what it felt to be free? Man. They now were called to serve the purpose and the will of God. Just like us, we were slaves. Those of us that are saved. And he called us out to serve him. Now notice the identity of their God is the living and true God. This is good. Living in contrast to dead idols. You might read Isaiah 40, verse 18 and 20 when you get a chance. True or genuine in contrast to false and counterfeit. He is the one who gives life to all. He's the creator. We've studied Colossians. Paul says that he created all things. There's nothing that is created that wasn't created by him. In fact, we are said to be the children of the living God in Romans 9.26. We are said to be the temple of God. In 2 Corinthians 6.16. We have the spirit of the living God. 2 Corinthians 3.3. 3. We are the church of the living God. 1 Timothy 3.15. We have come to the city of the living God. Hebrews 12.22. All this identifies their labor of love. Back in chapter 1 verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. That was the first point. Now here's the second point. Your labor of love. They did what they did because they're in love with the Lord. Why does a husband bring flowers to his wife? Because he loves her. Why does he treat her like Christ treats the church? Because he loves her. Love is the highest and purest motive. It will grow. A black church congregation had, had a meeting to pray for the rain. To release a long dry spell. The preacher looked severely at his flock when they came before him. And he looked at them. And he said, quote, brothers and sisters, you all knows why we's here. Now what I want to know is, where's your umbrella? <laughs> you see, you've got to be practical. If you're praying for rain, don't come in shorts. <laughs> if you're a Christian, don't live like a heathen. If you say you love the Lord, don't be too timing him. 
There must be a consistency. Do people who knew you before Christ see a consistent difference in your life now after the fact? How it has changed you and made you into a more loving person, a more considerate person. How that your life practice is consistent with the gospel and they see that difference. Do people wonder how you changed? And in fact, speak to others about the drastic change in your life, becoming channels of God, even though they're non-believers. But yet, boy, that guy changed so much. I don't know how, but I'll tell you. And they become vessels of the gospel without knowing it. And they, in fact, may ask you, hey, listen, I've been meaning to ask you this. How in the world did you give up all this stuff? What do you do for fun? <laughs> Are you really happy? It prompts people. It's like we said last week, you, know, you take a horse of water, but you can't make them drink, but you can give them salt. Or the salt of the earth. How you have turned to God from idols that you used to worship. Drugs, alcohol, sex, being a workaholic. Maybe your God used to take two parking stalls. Whatever it may be. An idol is anything that does two things. First, it takes the place of God. It is before God. It is the number one priority of your life. Secondly, it controls your mind and your meditation. It is the master passion of your life. That is your God. Have you come to faith to follow Jesus Christ? Or have you come trying to change yourself by joining the church? It's always a mistake. Glad you're here. But you need Christ to make that change. Through repentance. Do people see that you are serving the living and true God? Those people who know you. Serving Him consistently. Willingly. Lovingly. Wholeheartedly. You see, I think sometimes... Christians are as bad as people in the world in the workforce. And the workforce, people, oh, yeah, this is a great place, and they're with the boss and all that. But then they leave and they go, oh, that's stinking place. They don't appreciate me, and I can't believe why they do this and that. And people in the church do the same thing. And then, oh, oh, thank you, Pastor. Oh, you're so good. Sermon, this and that. The people walk away, I can't believe what they do over there. How come the pastor does this? All that. And we're just like people in the workforce. You see, we've allowed too much of the world to come into the church. We've got one foot in the world, the other one in Christ. Don't slip. You ever straddle a fence? Owie. It'll hurt. The service of a slave is marked by obedience to God's word and his will. The service is marked by joy because it is willfully, not forcefully, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so, their practice was consistent with the gospel. Consistent with the gospel. Notice the third mark. Verse 10. Their perseverance was based on confident hope. Confident hope. Notice first. Their expectation was the soon return of Christ, waiting for God's Son from heaven. They had believed and accepted all the truth about Jesus. They weren't smorgasbord Christians. <laughs> little spiritual jelly, little spiritual mousse, but eh, none of that spiritual vegetable or meat. Hot fudge, jelly beans. <laughs> they believed it all. 
The fact that he had come the first time as the God-man incarnate to die for the sins of the world, they believed this was the foundation of their salvation. This is what gave them the infectious disease. <laughs> the fact that he was coming again the second time for his church was nothing difficult to believe. He had kept his word the first time. The one they were patiently waiting for was God's Son, the Messiah. The one who had been prophesied about throughout the Old Testament. But notice also they believed he could come back at any time. This involved their present eminence. The fact that he could come back at any moment. Do you believe that Jesus could come back at any moment? If you really do, your life will reveal it. How you live. The expectation of Christ seems to have led some to become irresponsible about working. In fact, they had forsaken work. Here in uh, chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, That you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you. You say, well, really, aren't you reading into it? Well, I would if I didn't have the commentary on 2 Timothy. We go to 2, Tim I mean, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3. Verse 10 down to 12, listen. This is the second letter, just written probably a short time afterwards. He says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disordered manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now, those who are such, we command to exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. So there's always extremes that people can go to, right? There are always those who are lazy, those who want to use the body, those who want to be takers and not givers. Listen, you and I as Christians are to be the most effective, the hardest working individuals in the entire world. You are to give your employer eight hours of the hardest and best quality work that you can put out. Because you're serving your Lord and your Lord has chosen to bless you, to provide for you through that place of employment. You should not be like the others. Notice also they believe when he came, he was coming from heaven. And they would be with him in heaven. They believe that. This involves the future. Permanence and the fact that he would never leave again. Paul told the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7, that they had all the gifts waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 1 through 3 and 4 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, even though it doesn't yet appear where we shall be. When we see Him, we shall be exactly as He is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself even as He is pure. The greatest incentive for holy living is that you really believe that Jesus Christ is coming for you. You remember being a little kid at home? First time your parents left you? Okay, we're going to be gone just in a minute. And you, the minute they left, you look out the window. Yeah! And, and you got away with it, but then another time they left you, and, and they forgot something, turned around, and they caught you in midair from one bed to another. Ah! Busted. I hope the Lord don't catch you between two beds in the air. Unexpected. The place of His origin and coming is heaven. He said, heaven, that's the place of his abode. That's the place of his throne right now, making an intercession for you and I. This first letter of Thessalonians focuses on Christ coming for his church. Now, the second letter focuses on Christ coming 
with his church. And Paul deals and goes to great extent in the second chapter, verse 1 through 12, because they thought that the coming of Christ for the church, for his church, the rapture, had passed. He says, no, 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 I told you before. And he gives them the whole thing there from verse 1 through 12. So, 1 Thessalonians, Christ coming for his church. 2 Thessalonians, Christ coming with his church to set up the kingdom. There's the distinction between the two letters. Now, notice the second thing. Their expectation was to see the one who had been raised from the dead. God raised Christ from the dead as proof that God accepted the payment of sins for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made what? The righteousness of God in him. Notice the third thing. Their expectation was knowing Jesus had delivered them from the wrath to come. The last part of verse 10. The word wrath, orge, comes from the verb orgao, meaning to team or swell. It means an abiding, settled habit of mind with purpose of retaliation, not some sudden, uncontrolled wrath. God's wrath, He is an expert marksman. He doesn't shoot shotgun. His wrath is under control. It is because he hates evil and because he is the epitome of holiness. And his holiness demands his wrath. Yet he withholds his wrath patiently that man might repent. But when man continues to reject, then the only thing left is the wrath of God. The believer has been delivered from the wrath to come. When Christ returns to the earth, he will set up his kingdom, but he will come back in wrath. Read Revelation 19. Romans 5.9 says, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, what does it say here? Same thing. He says, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Talking about the Christian. There's a distinction. You might read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. When he comes back with his church, he comes back with vengeance upon the ungodly. The wrath is certain, and it's in the future, Paul is telling us. Seven years of tribulation. It comes as a thief in the night, and no one will escape it. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 and 3. He says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. Listen. And they shall not escape. Make the distinction between they and us. In chapter 5 verse 9. In verse 2. They, the unbeliever. Us in verse 9, the believer. The wrath on they. The escape, us. Don't miss that. The wrath to come should not be confused with the wrath that is being poured out now on the ungodly by God. Romans 1.18 says that because man rejects the grace of God, he is treasuring up to, for himself wrath against wrath against the day of judgment. But even before that, now in the age of grace, we don't know where, we don't always know how, we don't know on who. But the Bible teaches in Romans 1.18 that God's wrath is being poured out even now upon man. Don't confuse the wrath that's being poured out now by man's perverseness with the wrath that's going to come upon the whole world. All of this identifies their patience of hope. The last one in chapter 1, verse 3. 
remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. John and Charles Wesley were blessed with a patient mother. At one time, her husband said, quote, I marvel at your patience. You have told that child the same thing 20 times. Susanna Wesley looked fondly at the child. She said, had I spoken the matter only 19 times, I should have lost all my labor. Hmm. I think often we lose all our labor because we're not patient. We need to be patient about the Lord's return. For He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Don't fall short. Don't become impatient. Are you aware that Jesus can come back at any time? Any moment for His church? Are you aware of how often He spoke about this? One of the many times in Luke twenty-one thirty-six, He says, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Just one of many times. Like a bride, where to be looking for the groom. I'm keeping myself pure and faithful to Christ. That should be our commitment. Like that bride. We are to be occupying till Jesus comes. And that doesn't mean just sitting in the pews or looking up like the apostles and disciples there on the Mount of Olives. As the angel said, why do you men stand here gazing up in the sky? The very same way that Jesus left, he's going to come back the same way. The very same power that raised Jesus from the dead will raise you and myself up and change our lowly bodies like unto his. Philippians 3.20 says, are you clear about the fact that Jesus has delivered you from the wrath to come? Do you have peace in your life? Do you let fear rule you? Revelation 3.10 says he will keep us from the hour, a very specific time, the seven-year tribulation. Jesus promised his disciples in John 14, 1-6, Stop being afraid. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many abiding places. If it weren't so, I would have told you. And if I go, I go to prepare a place for you. Where I am, there you may be also. And if I go, I come back to receive you to myself. You must make the distinction between receiving us to himself and coming back with him to establish the kingdom. Big difference. Paul calls it the blessed hope in Titus 2.13. By the way, are you aware that God's wrath is a strange way for him to act? It's unusual. Isaiah 28.21 says, Listen, for the Lord will raise up as Mount Perism. He will be angry as the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his awesome work, and bring to pass his act, his unusual act. Do you realize that for him to pour his wrath, he doesn't like to do it. It's this unusual act. He'd rather pour out his love upon you. The Lord desires to forgive you and make a new creature of you. Their perseverance was based on their confident hope. Man, these are but three marks of a model church by having a real relationship, the real disease of Christianity. The proclamation was contagious. They shared their faith with others, their work of faith. Their practice was consistent with the gospel. Their lives were the talk of all, a labor of love. And their perseverance was based on confident hope. They were waiting for Jesus from heaven. Now, are these marks present in your life? If they're not, we're in deep trouble. We've got a social club. I hope not. 
Pastor Xavier Reese and the marks of an effective ministry, one that all believers ought to pursue. Now, today's message, A Model Church on Fire, is available for only $4. We can send you a copy on CD upon request. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. Once again, the title to ask for is A Model Church on Fire, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure to include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. What does it take to be a true disciple? That's coming up when Pastor Xavier Reese brings us the next edition of Simple Truths. Hope you'll be back for that. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 